0: Today's podcast is sponsored by Spoonflower. Do you want to learn to design, print, and sell your own fabric, wallpaper, and gift wrap? Try the Spoonflower Intro to Custom Fabric Design eBook. It took me about 10 minutes to read through it, and now I totally get how to design my own fabric on Spoonflower. Check it out at try.spoonflower.com slash abby. Or you can also use the promo code Abby15 at checkout to receive 15% off your first order. Thanks, Flower, Now here's the show. Welcome to episode seventy-three of the Walshie Naps Podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about creativity and drawing and making art with my guest, Alyssa Burke. If she's not making art in her Oregon Coast studio, you can find freelance painter and mixed media artist Alyssa Burke blogging, teaching art workshops, or crafting her handmade accessories. Whether it's running her creative business, being a mom or adventuring outdoors, she's always looking for inspiration from drawing, painting, cooking, and even the way she raises her daughter, Alyssa seeks to infuse creativity into every part of her life. Alyssa Burke, welcome. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've admired your work for years and years, so I'm really, really excited to speak with you. Yeah, so I think we should just kind of get, dial back to the beginning. Um, I knew know that you always felt like you wanted to be an artist, you know, even from yeah. when you were young. So could you start off by just telling us a little bit about where you grew up and the kind of household you grew up in?
1: yeah well i grew up um in the pacific northwest so first part of my life was in Washington, and then as i got older the oregon coast um but my parents were potters they're self-employed so they always worked from home um they had a home studio i was super used to like the self-employment hustle (laughs) like it was all around um so i grew up with very creative people lots of um, artists and crafters and makers. Were our friends in and out of our life, that type of thing, so I think my parents really noticed at an early age that I loved art and creativity, and they totally fostered it and even though there were times financially that were rough because of self employment, um they just always made sure I had the tools and resources to create so I was able to take art classes or connect with their friends and learn stuff. Um, I was able to even sell my art at an early age because they had a gallery and they traveled around selling their pottery to different places and shows. So I kind of, I feel like I've had an unusual upbringing is normal to me, but I think some people feel like they come into art kind of later in life because it wasn't fostered. And for me, it's like, an extra arm or something, it's just a part of, of everything that I do. So, um, um, going into high school, college, I knew, I just knew all along, I wanted to pursue some sort of creative career. I didn't really know what that looked like. I just know I had to make art like every day. Um, and it wasn't probably till college, I totally fell in love with painting and I was like, I'm going to major in painting with no clue what I would do after college. Um, No plan, no nothing. I just loved to paint and I wanted to take all the classes I could. So I did (laughs) and um, graduated and just kind of got a reality check of the fact that if I wanted a job in painting, I'd have to go to grad school or probably be a teacher. And at that time, um, the Internet wasn't as big as it is now. So, you know, traditionally it was like you work at a gallery or you get your master's, that type of thing. So I just went and got a job. I had to survive. And I was constantly kind of growing this little side hustle creative business. So I was doing everything from illustration jobs to gallery shows to anything I could do creatively on the side. I would do it to try to quit my day job and it took me years. It took me like probably over 15 years is what I tend to summarize it. to where i was able to walk away eventually from a job but i have had everyday job in the world from working at a gym to um, marketing to graphic design to working at a galleries and museums i've tried everything to see where i fit but it wasn't until i really started growing my creative business and really putting a lot of time and effort into it that I was able to kind of make the income I needed to step away so about I don't know eight years ago, I was able to quit my day job and run my business full time. Um, by that time I was married um, my husband had a job, but when we decided to have our daughter, uh, we both decided to like quit everything our life in California and we moved back to my hometown on the Oregon coast um so we could kind of have a simple life and we've been here 4 years my husband runs the business side of my creative business and i make art and teach and do all kind do anything i'll do anything <laughs> That's creative. Right. And uh, and
0: we are going to get oh. to that that sort yeah. of um that sort so of That's like the short story. Yeah, no, but that sort of approach of like I'll do anything I think is really yeah. important and so yeah. I definitely want to spend some time lingering on that and just a little bit. But um yeah. I want to kind of go back to this um effort to quit your day job because I yeah. think that you know that's like a a phrase now quit your day yeah. job like you hear it everywhere etsy promotes it for sure and it's yeah. just something that is kind of in the ethos and you know i do think it's something that a lot of people dream about it's not something that works for everybody. I think there is a certain kind of personality that should keep their day job and should still do create, have a creative business, but should sort of do it always as a side hustle. Um, And so it's not necessarily something that everyone should strive for, but for those people who do strive for that, um, I know you kind of developed in those last kind of five years leading up to the day when you left um, like a plan to yeah. ad- at least to agree. I don't know how formal the plan was, but I read in your blog posts and things that you did say you had a plan. And I wondered yeah. if you could kind of break down a little bit for us, like what did it really involve? Like what did you need? And then what were the steps that you put into place to get what you needed to be able to do this?
1: Okay. Well, by that time, like leading up to that, I really didn't think I would probably be a full-time artist. I just kept trying to find jobs that had a creative element to them. And I was really happy doing that for a long time and then having little side projects. So whenever people ask me about quitting jobs and that kind of thing, I really think it's better to be safe. I'm a safe person. I'm not a huge risk taker. So up until like, those five years happened, I was pretty happy in and out of creative jobs. Like I got to do some cool stuff with galleries and museums and graphic design, but I was actually in a job that I just started feeling really unhappy and unfulfilled with. And while I had been there for quite a while, I just, I just, I just felt there was something in my gut. that was like, I don't think I can do this any longer. And so my husband and I who were married at the time and he had a really good job at the time too. Um, I, I went to him and said, look, my side hustle stuff, I was teaching um, at retreats, I was teaching online classes. It was right before anybody was doing online classes, and I was able to kind of get my get in on that right before anything happened. I was kind of, you know, trying to do stuff in uh, virtually and online stuff as opposed to in, in person. I was selling things and I was making pretty decent money on the side and I was doing this all in my free time, um, outside of my day job. Um, but I went to my husband and said, I think I can do, I think this creative business could make more money. I just don't have the time. And he's like, well, let's figure it out. Here's the deal. If you can make what you're making in your day job, um, then you can quit. No problem. We're fine. We can pay our mortgage or bills, that kind of thing. And I'm like, okay. But it took me five years because I was doing all of this in very minimal time. Um, So we made that, that plan. So I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can make, and I'll just say the number. It was $35,000 after taxes that I was making at my day job. I think that's and, actually and, super helpful
0: only yeah. because um, so I was a teacher, um, yeah. prior to doing what I do now. And, you know, I was making $48,000 at sort of after four years of experience, um, yeah. and a master's degree in the field. Um, that's what I was making. And so, right. It's always like, okay, can I replace that income? Like when exactly. am I going to get to that point? And I think it's something that people rarely name. So I appreciate that you're willing to do that and um and i also think i just wanted to pull out from your story so far um what what you you already kind of had a proof of concept in other words both for yourself and for the market like You already knew that the things that you were doing as a side hustle were things you were committed to that you love, that you would do anyway, you would do in your free time. You know, it wasn't as though you're like, maybe I'd like doing that. It was like, no, I like doing this. I know that this is my commitment. And the other piece of it too was that you'd found a market. So people were purchasing it to a degree that you're like, I can see if I could just do more of this, I would get more sales. And so you'd proved on both sides already that there was something. Something to this.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think, too, I think an important piece in all of that is there were many years, there's like these chunks of time in my history where I was pretty fulfilled in my day job. And I, I, change jobs a lot more than people recommend. So if I probably would have stayed in one job, I probably would have been making more money. (laughs) But I was always trying to figure out, oh, this museum job, does this work? Does this fit? And I'd stay for two years and be fulfilled. And I'd be doing my art, I wouldn't even be selling anything. I'd just be teaching a free class to a community group. You know, I, I just loved doing that in my free time. And then there were other chunks of time where there was actual money attached to that stuff I was doing in my free time that made sense. That was like able to pay for a little vacation or just extra cash type of thing. But I really think being unhappy was what Completely sparked this. Let's make a real plan, Alyssa, and try to figure this out. But again, I'm slow. I'm not a risk taker. Health insurance, vacation, a pretty good job where you're comfortable. And it was graphic design, so it was creative still. I had a hard time, like just, you know, jumping after a year. So we took about five years and I kind of phased myself out. My job was really flexible. They let me start teaching and traveling a whole bunch. And then I'd use up all my vacation time and that kind of thing. And it was finally I went to them and to see if maybe I could work part-time because I still wasn't able to, like, take the leap. And they turned me down. And my husband, who's a total risk taker, is like, who cares? You don't need that part-time job. We can do this. Let's just try. And so uh, finally after those five years, I did it. And while I was making that, I ended up making that probably – three years into my plan, I was just really scared to be perfectly honest. Um, I felt like I had worked really hard to have this official day job with healthcare and all that kind of stuff. Um, So By year five it was kind of like the writing was on the wall, like you need to pick one or the other or you're probably gonna miss this moment. And so it was really my husband who was like, Who cares? Just do it. Thank yeah, and
0: thank goodness for the people in our life who love us, who say you can do this, you know. the
1: theory was that they'd give me my job back. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you know what too? Like, okay. like
0: you can go back and get a job. Like if it yeah, doesn't, you know, sure. if it doesn't work or if like you were miserable, like even if yeah. it did work and you were like, gosh, I can't stand having no structure, you know, you can go back and get a job. It's okay. So, yeah. so were you, and I hope this is okay if I ask, but were you able to replace that income? Like, did it work?
1: Yeah, I was able to replace it way sooner than those five years. So it probably year three or four, I was making really good money on the side up to about, I'd say 25 or $35,000 with a bunch of stuff though. Like I would get an opportunity that would pay a large chunk and it all evened out in the end. Um, but yeah, I think because I was making really good money on the side, I think even my husband who saw, he's like, well, why would you be doing all of this work (laughs) you pick one and let's just move forward you know so um but then once i did walk away it was tricky and we were saving money at the time too with the with this kind of little little plan up up in the future we just constantly be putting that money away that i was making on the side um And I was always planning for, you know, what opportunity comes next down the road, that type of thing, thinking in terms of I will walk away from this job eventually when I get the courage (laughs) and I'm not, you know, so tempted by the comfort of it all. Um, So, yes, I was able to to make that very easily. And now looking back, that sum of money now seems so teeny because I've been able to grow things. I mean, it just kept growing and growing, so the more time I had to put into it, I was right. My gut was right. I needed more time to grow it um the just the more income I was able to make okay so, that's and that's I think that's great, and having yeah. that full
0: time amount of time and energy, you know allows for that in a way yeah. that. Um, doing it on the side really, it's you can, but it's hard. It's really yeah. hard to have that yeah. same commitment. Um, yeah. So so I want to talk a little bit about Andy only because, your husband, because yeah. um, he's now a big part of the business it sounds like. And so I know he was an engineer and you guys met on a blind date. We did. <laughs> <laughs> How did that work?
1: <laughs> Tell us about right. the blind date. Well, we had friends set us up. I was on vacation in California and friends set us up and we like hit it off immediately and... We're friends, long distance and started dating long distance for years. And then I finally was like, I think I'll move to California to see if this guy's worth it. And I started over California and. We everything worked, got married and we've been married now for eleven, twelve years, so it worked. <laughs> like, That's great. Worked.
0: That's a great story. And since you're not, you know, necessarily a huge risk taker and I am not a big risk taker either, yeah. I tend to always be very conservative. Um, but you did it, you moved and um took a risk and it worked out. So
1: <laughs> I, did. I know it's for a guy too, which is so against <laughs> what I believe, but at the time I was like, I somebody's gotta move and I'm able to do it, so I'll try. Right
0: that's cool and so um, and so then I know you you had um, a daughter Lucy who yeah. we um, get to see on the blog periodically and different yeah. photo shoots and things and we've kind yeah. of watched her grow up which has been just I love to see people's you know children grow up on their blogs it's just so nice and um, yeah and, and it's, it's great to have a cute model too for all your <laughs> blog <Hopefully. bonus>. Um <laughs> So when you had her, it sounds like you guys made a pretty big life change. You yes. you wanted a light, really a lifestyle that was going to be different from the one yeah. that you had, and um yeah. and I just wanted to hear a little bit about sort of what you wanted and how you got it, what you wanted. Yeah.
1: Oh man! Well, I think to preface that, I my husband and I did not want kids until like. I was 35 and all of a sudden I just said to him, would you consider having kids? And he said, yeah, I would. And I was like, me too. Let's try. And by 36, I'd had her. So (laughs) (laughs) I, I, so I think we both knew if we were going to make that kind of a decision, Um, And it, it was so like it just hit us both at the same time. And we had been going through some difficult stuff with family. And we just really were like ready to try some new things in our life and just a new chapter. We both knew and agreed that if we started a family, we would need to change our life. Neither of us wanted to be like working 10 hours a day. And having our child in daycare, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But we just knew for us, it just didn't sound appealing. If we were going to have kids, we were like, we want, we're all in, like 24-7 all in. And which is weird because my husband, Andy, and I are really different. We don't agree on a lot of stuff, but we were on the same page. So the minute we found out I was pregnant, we both knew, like, I don't think we're staying in California. It's just, it's too fast for what we want. Um, we want a simpler life. He was very unhappy with his job. He worked like 15 hour days. I mean, it was insanity. And I was working um, on my business, which was great. So we kind of made this year plan from the moment I saw that positive <laughs> pregnancy test, um, to, um, after she was born, um, we were like, we are putting all of our money away and we're going to move back to my hometown on the Oregon coast. Um, and we're a simplify and we were making really good money together. So we were able to save for that year. Um, we own a condo down there we knew we were going to rent it. We just, we just were all in. We, we just didn't even care. I mean, we were stupid. <laughs> now that I look back, I'm like, we were so stupid. That was so naive. Um, but I think that is what got us through because I think when we finally were able to do it we look back and we're like, whoa, we were kind of rocked for a while because it was a huge transition. But my daughter Lucy was born. Six months later, we packed up and moved to the Oregon Coast. Um, We purchased my grandmother's house in the neighborhood I grew up in. um, And we live right near family. Um, I've my parents have a studio here in a studio business. So I was able to share a studio in their space. So it was just all like family was very supportive in it all but we really kind of just made this plan save the money totally put everything away just to be able to kind of try it and so we're four years in and it's awesome and for us i mean a lot of people would look at our life and probably go (laughs) i know i wouldn't want to do that but for us it's kind of what we dreamed um to be kind of just living a simple life not doing the hustle bustle that we were a part of in california we were really really caught up in a lot of that stuff down there um, with just making money and what you have and that type of thing and we just didn't want to do that anymore so we live a very simple quiet life um i make art all day my husband runs the business side of my business and he's also an artist so i pull him in when i can He's also a surfer, and there's surf here, which was a big draw for him to move. So he surfs a lot. And then our daughter, Lucy, we have just begun homeschooling for now. But we have dreams of kind of traveling and having some flexibility and mobility with, like, what we do. But we're kind of just taking it, like, a year at a time. And, <laughs> and I- we both we both know, like, if at any point this just doesn't feel right, we are willing to switch it up and change things. So...
0: And uh, there's this wonderful photo, and I think it might even be on the post when you talked about getting ready to move. And it always sticks with me. It's this photo of you. You're sitting on the couch. And maybe you know what I'm talking about, but there's there's like a playpen or like a pack and play or something behind you. And the baby's in there kind of like standing up, like maybe fussing. And you just have this look on your face of being so worn out. And I just feel like I have, I'm a mom. I have three daughters and yeah. they are, you know, 12, 10, and five now. And I've had that look so many times <laughs> <laughs> because that's what it really looks like, yeah. like a lot of the time. And so I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about how motherhood changed your art business, you know, I mean, because unlike me, you yeah. had an art business before. You yeah. became a mom, and then you became a mom, and it kept going. Like in other words, yeah. you were able to adapt. And for some people, they have it before then they have a baby, and they just say, "I can't do both." Yeah. Um, and for some people, like me, they didn't have it before then they had a baby, and we're like, "Hey, now I can have an art business." Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but you kind of, you know, you you bridge between
1: uh, between it. So how did yeah. motherhood change things? You know, it's weird because it it changed things, but at the same time, it didn't. And I was. T- Terrified like I thought I'd have a baby and it would all just go away I I know so many women my mom being one who will say I put all my eggs into being a mom And now I woke up 20 years later and here I am What who am I and I was just so terrified that that was gonna happen like I was gonna lose myself in the experience so I was pretty determined not to and not stubborn, but just, I was like, okay, what's this going to feel like? How is this? And I had no context either. Cause I never wanted kids until I was 35. So I didn't know anything about children whatsoever, which was terrible. Um, but it ended up being like the, the sweetest experience in my life. Like, I think it softened me and kind of, um, really, just made me kind of relax a little bit like i didn't really have anything to worry about you know art is like my baby too my creativity drawing the process i do it every day i'm in love with it it's just as important at times as my family it's a terrible thing to say but it's like a piece of just who i am so i think i learned really quickly that it's not going anywhere and if you have passion and love for something you're just gonna figure out how to make it work and I also have a lot of passion for my business and, and the cre- the creative side of my business. So those things I just learned really quickly, like literally in the hospital, because I'm like, oh, I just had a baby and my sketchbook's here and I can draw. <laughs> so I I, I I just saw that there was not – I didn't need to be scared of losing myself because what I have for art is just deeply rooted. And now this new experience of being a mom – kind of feels the same way. So while it's insanely difficult, I mean, it's crazy juggling, and it's also crazy because we are with her. Like we don't really have childcare except for my parents, grandparents, um, but there's no daycare, no school, we're homeschooling, we're together a lot. And it's intense at times, but I don't know, there's just something with being a mom that clicked for me that I had no clue it was even in me. <laughs> so. Um, I think it's changed me with just being a little bit more open and my family would laugh, but laid back, I'm pretty like, I'm, I'm, I'm a very stressful, I worry a lot. And I think it's really helped that. And it's helped that both with being a mom personally, as well as with my business, like, okay, it's all going to be there tomorrow just because I don't have any ideas today doesn't mean I they're gone, (laughs) you know, that type of thing. So it's kind of loosened me up a little bit. Um, but it's really more than anything like added, just this really nice sweet element to my life. And she totally inspires me. Our family and our family dynamic is like this brand new resource of inspiration. And it has been from when she was like a baby to every like milestone I'm inspired. And it kind of, reflects and kind of plays off of my work and what I'm doing. So um, I'm sure there's way more adventures and experiences to go because we're only four years in. But um, for me, not a lot changed. I just knew I had to work harder. And because I loved this so much, I was willing to work as hard as I needed to in whatever time of day. And because we had that goal of moving, I had a year of like, I gotta hustle because we want to be flexible and self-employed and we've got a baby and we gotta make it work. So I just have a lot of motivation in that area. And you know, my family motivates me. I would do anything for them and I love being able to provide for them. So that really keeps everything in check, even on the bad days when she's driving me nuts.
0: (laughs) I just wanna pause things for a moment to talk with our sponsor, Springflower.
2: My name is Mary Howell, and I'm a senior R&D associate at Spoonflower. And what is and R&D? R&D kind of encompasses a lot at Spoonflower. It, it is fabric testing, ink testing, printer testing. It kind of spans a very large gamut of things that we get to play with. My first like major project at Spoonflower in the research department was bringing on this whole new platform. So this printer is um, a corneet allegro. They're giant machines, and it's bigger than any machine we had ever had in our building. It also has a really cool system that it'll print and then it goes straight into a, like a heat-curing dryer. That machine was in beta and we got to beta test that for them for a long time. We now have three of those machines in-house and it took a really long time to R&D with the corn Eat techs and there were a lot of techs that stayed with us for a very long time and they were super helpful and we got to add a lot of input on what we liked and what we didn't like about the machine and really update and their their version now that is uh, ready for sale has a lot of input from Spoonflower.
0: Yeah, so you guys are actually shaping the <laughs> technology, like the printing technology for digital fabric printing.
2: Absolutely. It's a lot of fun getting to see how the the industry is changing based on a lot of stuff Spoonflower is actually doing. The pigment industry wasn't really a big industry about five years ago, and now it's really starting to pick up, and they're making printers specifically for pigments, and that was never a thing that was that was realistic five years ago.
0: How long does it take to print uh, a yard on the new, the big ones? One minute. Wow. So you can print fabric at a minute a yard.
2: Yep. That's I mean, really it's, a, it's a huge change. It's really great. When I first started in the print room, we, we if we got to 1,000 yards – that was a tremendous day. We were super excited, and now we're all the way up to 5,000 yards a day. It's nuts.
0: <laughs> Design, print, and sell custom fabric, wallpaper, and gift wrapped on demand at spoonflower.com. And now, back to my conversation with Alyssa. <laughs> Yes, yeah, totally. And um and I I do think it lights that fire for sure. Yeah. And um and I want to talk about that sort of notion of being the provider. So, um your husband uh quit his job, which it sounds like yeah, was a good move when you guys yeah. moved And um and now he it sounds like he he works with your creative business with you know, and he's an artist too. So he's doing his yeah. own artwork, but can you just describe like what in your business does he take care of? I mean, is it like you know, certain aspects of, of, the business that he just likes and is good at, or that you just hate and needed some yeah. help with, or, um, and like, how did you figure out, okay, honey, you're going to do this and I'm going to do this, you
1: know? Yeah. Well, we're still figuring that out. And it, this has probably been the most challenging aspect of everything that we've done and are doing is just figuring out how to make like a marriage work alongside of a business partnership, alongside of being together a lot. Um, we're really independent people, and we love our space and our free time. And this four years of being together like this has literally been like we're on a marriage retreat or something. <laughs> <laughs> Intense. Um, but I'd say, like, the first year, we didn't do a lot. He was more child care stuff so that I could – really grow things while we were getting transitioned with moving. Um, and we were really just kind of feeling out the whole thing. Like I never wanted to pull him in if it didn't feel right. Um, but then two, three years in, it was kind of like, okay, there's stuff that I just literally don't have time to do. And all along this, my business has been growing like probably faster than I can keep up with. And I do everything myself, like literally everything. And I'm happy with that because we save a lot of money that way. Um, but I think it just came to a point where he saw and I saw that there was all kinds of stuff that he was absolutely capable of doing that I don't like doing. I don't like anything to do with numbers or money, and he's phenomenal. He's a math guy, he's an engineer, he can do it. So he does everything from the money, the books, the taxes, all of our accounting to managing all of my online classes. So I that's like the bulk of my business is teaching online, and I have like over 40 classes that we have to manage and he's in charge of all of that. He directly sends out emails to the people who register. Um, He does a lot of the blog planning with me. So a lot of photography, poor guy, (laughs) to him into all this stuff. Lots of, you know, I have all these crazy ideas and I'm like, let's build this. And so, you know, he'll spend a month figuring out how to do it or renovate something. Um, So we're still trying to figure out how we can make better use of him. I'm a control freak. I have a hard time letting go of stuff because this has been my baby for so long. So Yeah. And I feel the same way and I
0: think a lot of people can relate to that. Like I have tried – I recently had somebody try – I'm helping me. I was kind of trying that and she was great. I mean absolutely great. I like couldn't let go. Like it was really hard for me to be like, yeah, you can work on this blog post. But I'm like, but it's my blog. Like I can't have you (laughs) do – that's my blog. You know what I mean? Like I just – it's so yeah. hard for me to let go of of the pieces that really take up a lot of time.
1: Yeah. And I've heard a lot of people say that you should and – Because you I, can't I,
0: scale, right? Yeah, because you're the exactly. bottleneck. I hear this I, all the time.
1: To have those voices in the back of my head like, well, I'm supposed to let go of this stuff. But – I think what I've found that works for me is, my mom also works for me too, like she's a straight up employee, my husband's not, he doesn't make any money, he's just like one of, he's just another part of me, together, but she does all my shipping for me. And she also, she and I collaborate on pot, pottery projects. But, um, I found that if I just am able to hand off the stuff that like, I literally won't do <laughs> like, there's Like certain things I can't stand doing. I can't stand shipping at all. I'm not good at it. I'm a flake about it. Um, I feel more comfortable. Like I don't even question her. I don't look at her, what she's doing. And so the stuff that I can't let go of like the blog and that type of thing. I've just accepted that I'm like, you know, I think I really just like this. I don't think I'd want to hand it off because right. I love so much but right, exactly. take my email take the accounting take everything else because I don't want any I don't even want to look at it. Let's so,
0: talk a bit about email just for yeah. just for one second um, I know from emailing you to ask you if you would like to do this podcast yeah. with me um, you have a little autoresponder, very friendly that just says like I got your email I am going to respond but it takes me a while um, yeah. I'm summarizing what it says but it's something yeah. like that um, so so do you how do you man? I'm sure you just get a lot of emails Ugh. and a lot of them are probably you know, uh, online class yes. customers who are confused or forgot their password, blah, blah, blah. So, and then there's lots of other things that come in through email, some of which, you know, emails intermix. So some of those things yeah. are like massive opportunities. And then others <laughs> of them are like, yeah, not so great. So so how do you manage your email?
1: My email is my downfall of everything. Yeah. No, it's not, but, um, I don't manage it very well. If you want me to be really honest, that's, I would say the one aspect of everything that I just am not good at. And we are constantly trying to fix it. My husband's now taking on a lot of that. Um, but I get so many emails and this is where I think things grew faster than I was able to deal with while having like a newborn, you know, and figuring out how to be a mom. Um, I just, I mean, I literally get like 100 emails a day. And if I let that go for a couple of days, that's 300 or yeah, two. Yeah. It's also like if I go away.
0: Yeah. Right. Like if I, I yeah. go just even for like an overnight and then I come up back and I'm like
1: 282. Like, I know I can't, it. What? It, I, yeah. It's, ugh, and I, I have, I mean, t- having grown up, not in the age of technology, it, you know, I love it because you're able to connect with people quickly, but I feel like expectations are quicker now where people want to hear back immediately. So we are working on my husband now kind of filters through. We have lots of filters on our email too. So he will filter through all the online class stuff. And I'd say probably 80% of my Mm -hmm. Email is troubleshooting stuff. So he'll go through and try to clean it up, that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, it literally can take me a week to even get through my inbox to see what's important. And I'm still trying to figure out the best way to work on that for me. You know, like I don't want to do what other people do if it's just not going to work for me. So um, but he's my husband. Andy's real good. He's super organized and really detail oriented, and I'm not. So he's kind of gone through, and he'll go, "Did you know you got an email from blah blah blah?" I'll go, oh no, I didn't. So I'll get on there and look. Right. I'd be making art. Like I don't want to be on the computer all day, but I have to. Mm-hmm.
0: Something. So. Right. That's right. And it, it is hard to find that balance between yeah. shutting it down and just spending time creating. Yes. Yeah. Um, Versus being like, I'm on top of it. And I got it all done. But now the day's over. And so yeah, yeah, that's I think
1: there's a little bit of pressure. Like I always, it's really hard not to feel like, oh, I'm failing in that area. Everything needs to be perfect in order to feel like I'm at a good place. And I think I just, there's certain things I just have to forgive and just go, okay, it's a work in progress. There's Other aspects of my business that are working phenomenally, let's just accept that it's not perfect today and we will get to that point. I don't – my business doesn't have to look like whoever else out there who's got, you know, somebody just for email, but we're going to figure it out eventually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It'll it'll figure itself out. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think
0: part of it too is really just keeping – tabs on how you're feeling you know and I think that's the same thing with motherhood too like just keeping tabs like how do I feel like you know how's our bedtime routine going do I feel like it's going or do I feel like annoyed every single night because she keeps getting out of her bed and asking for more water or whatever and it's like well maybe we need to come up with a plan or hey it's working and it might not be everybody else's way of doing it but this works for me and I like it so I'm happy and you know I'm not going to take everybody else's advice because it works for me and we're happy with it you know so it's a lot of it's really thinking to yourself like Am I feeling good about it? And yeah. then we're going from there, you know, using that yeah. as your guide. Yeah. Um, And I want to touch, go back to something that you had talked about way back in the beginning of our talk, which was about um doing so many different things with art. Yeah. So um you, you were like, I will do anything. And yeah. you have done a lot of things. You yeah. exhibited in galleries, but you've sold your work on Etsy too. You've written two books. You've done some licensing. You, mm-hmm. um I know from just emailing you the other day, you're like, I'm in the middle of a huge illustration job. So you're doing yeah. that. uh, You teach. And so I just wanted to hear a little bit about sort of what all those different kinds of experiences, some of which I'm guessing you kind of have shed now and having gone through it being like, "Mm, doing that kind of thing is not so much what I like or, you know, but what they've taught you from like having all these varied experiences with ways to use art.
1: Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I think for a lot of years, I felt like my ticket (laughs) to quitting my day job or to making the income that I needed or of completing a goal, that type of thing, was kind of finding my big break. And I, I had this false idea that I needed to kind of get in the right scenario or the right opportunity. And I think a lot of creative careers feel that way, like music, um, art, obviously, writing, those types of things. Like you're looking for that that project that might kind of elevate things or take it to another level. And I think for many years, I was constantly searching for that as well as like the things that fit me creatively. And I learned pretty quick that I'd say like less than 1% of creatives are probably getting like a big break. I think people get them and I think they get connected with the right situation that launches them financially and all that good stuff. But I really learned through like a ridiculous amount of dead ends and failure that think that's not the way things go for most of us. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I've been doing this a long time. So, um, I did a lot of experimenting thinking, okay, maybe this is going to fit and this will, you know, I I don't want to like not talk about money. Like a big piece of everything for me is money. Like how do we pay the bills? Um, how was I going to make that money to pay for health insurance or, you know, so I don't want to just go like, I love to do all this stuff. You know, I'm looking for how I can make money and have a creative career that feels right. And it's the good fit, that type of thing. So I think after lots of failure or just hitting a dead end where you get an opportunity and really nothing happens from it, but it's a great experience. I started learning. It took me a while, um, that it's kind of not about getting a break or getting your ticket to the next level. It's kind of more like, what am I, what makes me happiest? And honestly, I love painting. I love drawing. I love teaching. But I came to a point where I just was honest with myself. I'm like, basically, I'll do anything creative if I can get paid for it. (laughs) I mean, I love art. I love making things and I love sharing things with other people. I really don't have a lot of boundaries when it comes to my creativity. Um, You want me to write a magazine article? Okay, here you go. You know, like, and so once I kind of accepted that this isn't going to look like a big break for Alyssa, it's going to just be a lot of probably little steps or just forward momentum constant, these little things going on projects at the same time. I really became a lot more content and Accepting of like that's who I am. This is where I'm at and even if it looks like somebody got a big break or something It's probably not that simple and I think shifting my mindset Really helped me accept that and so within that acceptance. I was able to really go. I love doing all this stuff I really do. I don't just like one lane and I've never been like that creatively. I love I love my glue gun like just as much as I love my paintbrushes and paint. So I think um, doing all those things has not only inspired me and kept me productive and it's really educated me and helped me grow and really define myself better and also define my business along the way. So I've done a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, I, I would l- literally do anything if it can fit into my schedule If it's creative, I'll try it (laughs) that's how I love being creative.
0: And I think that that shows too in your work, you know, like you will paint on any surface which I always (laughs) find so fascinating because I'm like, okay, I'll like wake up in the morning and it'll be like right before Halloween and I'm like looking at blogs while I have coffee in the morning and I'm like, oh. You know, Alyssa's painting on pumpkins, like in 14 sure. different ways. Like this is <laughs> yeah. fascinating. And then it's like, you know, but you'll paint on a basket. You'll paint on a spice yeah. jar. You'll paint like, you'll just, yeah. you'll paint on a toilet paper tube. Like you'll just take yeah. anything that there is and you will, you will draw or paint on it. And I think that there's a lot, a lack of like snobbery or yeah. like, I'm a fine artist. And so I only yeah. paint on canvas with oils yeah. like you will take very humble materials, you know, and you will just, like, in any household recycling project, whatever, and, yeah. and make it into something artistic. Um, yeah.
1: And I think I learned really early on through trying a lot of stuff through – you know, showing art at a gallery, working at a gallery, working at a museum, working at a frame shop for art. I think I learned through a lot of things. Like I don't fit in this and I'm I'm not going to just like dive into this. Maybe if an opportunity comes my way, I'll try it. But I kind of, I don't want there to be boundaries or snobbery or anything in what I do. I feel like it's way more fun and relaxing to not have to deal with, you know, expectations creatively. <laughs> and a lot of little areas of the creative world can feel like that. There's rules, there's guidelines. And I am, don't, that's the one area in my life I just don't creatively I don't I'm not into it. So and I learned that through trying those things.
0: So. Yeah, right. And that's the best way to learn is through trying yeah. and then seeing how it how it feels to you. And so and I want to just um touch a little bit about on rejection because you you yeah. mentioned that, you know, part of this was a massive amount of of rejection and yeah. you've written a little bit about that as well on your on your blog and I think that, you know, it's it's easy for people to look at somebody like you And assume there haven't been any hard times. In other words, that there haven't been things that you really desired and really tried to get and then didn't get. And so I wondered if you would feel comfortable sort of talking specifically about something you wanted or something you tried that just didn't work.
1: I have a list that would
0: last us like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so helpful um, for people to hear. So yeah, so pick something.
1: Yeah. Um, a few of the thing, I'll I'll throw a few out. I okay. right after college, I applied to graduate school and I got rejected. I thought I was a total shoo-in and I totally bombed it. And I it completely affected my ego and I didn't try again, which I kind of sometimes wish I would have. Um, I've been rejected from numerous. Um, show, like art shows and galleries that you kind of have to apply to or you have to submit work to. Um, I've had licensing opportunities that have just totally bombed and just felt yucky the whole time where it's like, oh, this just does not feel like I should be doing this right now. Um, I've, I mean, I've written two books. My first book, which was an amazing opportunity, barely sold, even though a lot of people know about it now. At the time, people didn't know who I was and it completely bombed and it was really sad, but at the same time it was a great learning opportunity where I'm like, okay, I gotta rethink all of this. Um, Just putting myself out there with sharing inspiration and blog posts, you know, I'll have a great idea and I'll put it out there and I'll get like no response. And while I don't tend to need validation, those little things even daily at times can be like well geez why how come i like this (laughs) other people don't so i think i mean there. and i mean and then within that there's many years with those day jobs where i was really trying to apply for jobs that maybe could be a creative career for the rest of my life and i wouldn't get the job um i mean i've been on this road for so long um, so I've just, I mean, I've tried so many things that just as many things that I've tried have totally failed. I mean, I think more things have failed than succeeded, but. And often those things, are-
0: right. Those things don't get that blog post celebrating no. them. Do you know what I mean? You're not like, and today Guess we're going to be talking about this licensing deal that I did that
1: was like really crappy and then yeah. didn't sell yeah. and made me feel bad. And I hate yeah. the product, you know, like. Yeah. You kind of don't want to look like you're, you know, complaining about possible clients for that type of so it's hard right. to know like what you should share and what you shouldn't right, right. Um, failure is a to- i think it's 100% a huge part of any creative process because just having the courage to make something is it's it's scary for a lot of people and usually people who make things want to either share or sell those things And it doesn't always work out that way. You don't always sell things. If you got into an art show, you may make no money. And I learned that really quick from my parents, too, growing up. I saw that a lot where they'd work so hard for months and then nothing would sell when they took it to a show type of thing. So... It's just kind of a part of the creative life and you have to kind of just keep moving. And again, if you've got passion, I think passion like cures everything. (laughs) If you love it, it's just not going to matter if you fail. You're going to go, well, I really still like doing this, so I'm just going to keep doing it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, you
0: know, I've had book proposals rejected. I've written two books, but I've had proposals in there between them rejected and, um, And, you know, the way that I looked at it was like, well, that company didn't believe in me, but I believe in me.
2: Yeah. Like,
0: do you know what I mean? You have to sort of say to yourself, but they were wrong. Like this might, or, or maybe like it might not be something that can sell in their market, but this is a, this is something that can sell in a different market because this is a good idea, you know?
1: And I think to those moments, like I, my, my whole philosophy with that stuff is if it doesn't sell or if a company doesn't receive it the way like I want it to be received or seen, I just kind of don't want to work with them and At the end of the day, I would rather put the energy into maybe trying to figure out how I can do that on my own without even having to answer to anybody. Um, Because I seem to just be happiest that way when it comes to creativity. So, like, if people are rejecting you, you probably aren't the right fit to be working with them. You know, it, and there's somebody who will be, or you can make that opportunity for yourself. You know, that's yeah. A and
0: there, fun. and and now we really we are able to do that much more yes. easily because we oh, can sure. connect with our consumers directly and our fans directly, which is yeah. so wonderful. So, and speaking of that, I took one of your online classes. It was an art journaling class with my 12 year old over winter Yay. vacation. <laughs> (laughs) Um, and it was just great, a great thing to do over winter break. Um, she got super into incorporating text and layers into her art, which was something that she didn't know about. And she learned about masking and she thought that was so cool. Like, I mean, there was just, it was really good for us to do, um, together. And one of the things that I admired about the class is that is how simply it was created. This yeah. this is kind of a funny thing to to admire about a class, but I kind of look at it from the back end like business side of it. So you don't use any like fancy class platforms. And maybe this no. is because you were an early adopter and those things literally didn't exist and now we're at this like e-course peak where there's like a bazillion e-courses on everything, yeah. but um but you basically have like a a pretty simple password protected page that's on your mm-hmm. site. The videos are there. They're password protected as well. There's text in between and some sample, you know, images in between. And so, you know, my guess is that this, the, the simplicity of it allows you to kind of be lean and nimble and create more of them more quickly without getting bogged down in all the tech stuff, yeah. um, which like I'm working on an e-course now and it's so, I feel like there's so much, so many tech options that yeah. I'm trying to just be like, no, I'm just going to do it my simple way because yeah. that's the easy way and it still works. So yeah. can you kind of give us a 101 on and
1: how you create an e-course um, in the straightforward way? Yeah. Well, part of my, my brand and my mission too is more about simplicity. Like I started teaching e-courses because when I taught at retreats, I was, I was like, Whoa, this is a lot of money. People are paying to come take classes. And what about people who don't have money and having grown up rather poor (laughs) because I had creative parents. um, I was like, well, where's the options for people that want to learn that are like cheap or affordable. So my courses kind of came out of that mission of, trying to kind of create an experience with me um, that doesn't cost a lot of money. um, But at the same time, you don't need to go buy a ton of new supplies. Like I know a lot of e-courses now people are partnering with brands and all that kind of stuff. I don't do any of that because I feel like you can get in your junk drawer and probably find enough supplies to make art and my whole brand and business and who I am as an artist is built on. You kind of don't need a lot of stuff. To be a good artist you just need a lot of practice and experimentation so all my classes i try to keep really simple um especially when it comes to techniques i just am not like i would be kind of a liar if i did all this complex stuff because i'm literally teaching and sharing the way that i work um so a lot of it is just simple. It's simple concepts. It's simple supplies. And then my class format, I just like to keep simple. I like it to be as visual as possible. Um, I am not into writing these days. It's weird. Ever since I had my daughter, I can't write <laughs> as well as I used to. It's like my brain is like mushed or something. Um, so I try to keep it as visual as possible because it's art type of, you know, scenario. Um, so, I just really think there's a lot that can be taken from simplicity as well. And I do know, too, I have a lot of different ages as well as experience taking my classes. So every time I go to make a class, unless I call it like an advanced class or something, I know I could have a five-year-old and a 75-year-old in this e-course. So I have to sort of plan and figure it out and structure it so that it kind of hits a bunch of different age groups and levels of creating, and I have just found when I fall back on simplicity, um, it's easier. Now, a lot of my drawing classes can get a little bit more complex, but art journaling and the mixed media and painting that type of thing, I want it to be um, pretty like like anybody can digest it. And I have a lot of newbies that that come to me who have never created before. And I sort of have to like give them something as well. That is like, it's not going to scare them away from the creative process. So simplicity for me is like everything I do. I, I just need a paintbrush and black paint and I'm like happy. So my class has got to reflect that as well. So
0: yeah, no. And I think it's, it's nice. And I think that the, the price point too, I mean, I saw sewing patterns and yeah. Sewing patterns typically are about $9, somewhere yeah. in there. And um, to buy one of your classes, it's not all that much more, you know, it's yeah. 20, 30, you know, it's really not a huge investment and you're getting this really nicely created, cohesive set of videos and instructions that you can access anytime yeah. um, and with not... A huge financial investment. You don't have to have, you know, we, we bought like one new sketchbook because our sketchbook had no more pages. Like that's all yeah. we bought. Yeah. Um, and we were able to just like whip out our rubber stamps and, you yeah. know, and some uh, acrylic paint and just go for it. So. Um yeah, in a sharpie, you know, we had our black. We need our black because you, you, you use a lot of black. You love black. I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it was yeah, it was lovely. And um and I just wanted to um talk just for a minute because I asked on Facebook the other day if anyone yeah. had questions for you. And oh, yeah. one of the questions was about um decorating your house. And yeah. you know, you you have these stunning photos of the mural that you painted in your bedroom of yeah. these gigantic flowers and you've tripped out this uh, van that you got uh-huh. in. And <laughs> yes. um, so I guess talk a little bit about sort of your philosophy of home, sort of drawing and painting on the walls of your home and of your vehicle and that kind
1: of stuff. Yeah. Well, luckily I have a really supportive husband who's <laughs> on the same page as me with that kind of stuff. Cause I know a lot of people don't like to do that to their stuff, but at the end of the day for me it's like it's just a wall it's just a floor you know especially with paint you can always paint over something um so I feel like I want my home and my surroundings to reflect a little bit of creativity. Like my, my house doesn't necessarily look like my studio, which is insanity. It's just like visually like tons of stuff. Um, But I love to be able to just, again, use simple things to transform something. I know wallpaper right now is super trending, but it is so expensive if you want to get like the really fancy cool prints and stuff. So I feel like if people just kind of switch their thinking around, there's a lot you can do with just simple supplies like paint, a Sharpie, um, a paint pen, that type of thing. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's fun to kind of do interesting things in your home. Um, We don't really want to spend tons of money on remodeling. We do little tweaks here and there, but we try to DIY it and that's kind of our style. And it's always going to be some sort of painted element is always going to be incorporated because I change my mind a lot. So I get tired of things a lot. The mural I just painted, it'll get painted over in like a year and I'll do something else. But if it were wallpaper that was expensive, I probably couldn't make those changes. So for me, I just like having a creative home. And I also like the fact that our home and kind of the things that we do can be tied into the inspiration that I share on my blog. So I'm always looking for ways to kind of make people think twice or look twice where, um, you know, I want people to kind of hop over to the blog and go, Whoa, that's an amazing mural, but wait, I bet I could paint my door and that would be a fun way to get creative and pull that into my home. So, um, it's kind of all intermixed together. My house is like an empty canvas (laughs) for whatever, whatever I want to do. Yeah. Same with our yard, our garden. We kind of treat everything like that. It's yeah, just and of- your
0: jeans,
1: you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I got into blogs, blogging way back when it, long before it started. Um, but I didn't really have a plan of action until, I don't know, like four five years into blogging and I really enjoy sharing inspiration it complements a lot of the things that I teach so I want people to feel like they can bounce over to my blog and kind of get a preview of who I am as a teacher or my art or my process and i just know that from a business side I think it's just a really good almost like visual resume for anybody wanting to invest or purchase anything from me Um, they get something free free inspiration, a lot of times free downloads, that type of thing. Um, And for me, it's just worked well to have it as kind of this, this landing point for customers, for fans, you know, people who have followed me for a long time, anybody who's taken my live classes, people like to check in. So I love Instagram, though, just as much as I love my blog. So Instagram for me has now become kind of another complement to that whole blogging. And it's all visual. So I like sharing that inspiration.
0: Yeah, I think you make a really good point that um, it's an introduction to people. You give them yeah. something for free, and it's really that's a really important uh, way to think about your blog. Yeah. You know, it's beyond it just being like a resume, but it's also a way to begin a relationship. That down the road, very well, I mean, it certainly did for me, will lead to a paying relationship. But in the beginning, to build that trust and confidence in somebody and just sort of know day after day, she's still here. She's still creative. She's still making stuff I like. Okay, now I need something. I'm going to buy it, you know? Yeah.
1: And my blog is not monetized. So I don't work with companies and I'm not making money through it. But it is a huge part of how I share who I am and market the stuff that I'm selling and making and what I'm doing. So I've kind of gone a different route than a lot of bloggers out there. So I don't work with companies and get paid to do anything. This is all like I'm doing it all for free with the hope that customers and new students and stuff will join in on my classes eventually. But in the meantime, they can get a lot of good free stuff over on the blog too. Right. And I'm sure companies have
0: approached you, but you've said no.
1: Yeah. I've maybe only worked with two or three companies over the past Mm -hmm. like eight years so I'm real picky but it's just just not my thing just doesn't fit I've tried it didn't
0: fit (laughs) right and you got to try it to see you know I agree with you that's the best way to know yeah great all right awesome so and I I want to I want to make sure we have a few minutes for uh, your recommendations because you've got a couple of good ones here besides you know just um, using simple materials around your house to to make everything into a canvas which is an awesome recommendation in and of itself but um, yeah so (laughs) you wanted to talk about um, smoothie bowls and and I, I went down like the smoothie bowl rabbit hole last night because uh-huh. I had never heard of a smoothie bowl before. And so I had to Google it after you gave me your list. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, so I told my husband last night, I'm like, we need to start making these for breakfast. So tell us what they are and how you like making them.
1: So it's basically like a smoothie that you dump into a bowl and then you top it with all kinds of healthy toppings and I'm I never eat breakfast I'm terrible but I work out in the morning so I discovered smoothie bowls a while back and they're so pretty. There's like people are making them look like art because they're colorful and you can do all kinds of pretty stuff with the fruits and veggies that you add. Um, But I basically, it's like changed my morning routine because I'm able to kind of get a good breakfast. So you basically dump your smoothie in a bowl. I top mine with like granola, chia seeds, fruit, coconut. And it feels like you're eating frozen yogurt topping with toppings, but you're really just having a smoothie with granola and like healthy toppings. So I'm obsessed with them. My family, my husband doesn't like them, but I love them. I'm just obsessed with making them every day. I, everybody's like, oh, there goes Alyssa. Smoothie
0: <laughs> bowl. Oh, we have a we have a Vitamix blender, which I totally love. And so, um, yeah. And so I'm going to have at it with these smoothie bowls. This is a very yeah. good idea. Yeah. Yeah. there It's cool. Um, and so you also love podcasts, which of course I love podcasts too. And you have a couple of favorites. Do you want to tell us sort of what podcasts you kind of always tune into when there's a new episode? You know, you're like, oh, yes, a new one's out. You know, which ones you love?
1: Yeah. I, I love anything with business. So I listen to all like the, the business ones and the creative, I, is, is it called being boss? Is that one?
0: I don't that, know. I, yeah. I haven't listened to that um, one. I listen to startup, which I love. Startup,
1: I love, I'm obsessed with startup, but I love, like storytelling podcasts and I run a lot in the morning or I go for these long hikes and walks. So it just makes the time go by so fast. It's like I'm sitting at having somebody read a story to me. So um, I obviously, this American life, everybody has to listen to and love, but I got addicted to cereal like probably the whole entire world and i couldn't stop listening so now i like kind of those mystery crime podcasts Mm -hmm. like anything with a story and history which is weird they're just compelling to listen to when you're working out it's like my favorite way to pass time yeah or work you know like if i'm painting a mural or something like that yeah i will have a podcast on in the background because it just feels like i'm getting smarter. <laughs> yeah, totally. I,
0: I always think like I run in the mornings as well. And I always think of it, it's like professional development. So oh, I, I listen l- to all of these different <laughs> business podcasts. I always listen to podcasts about journalism. And um, yeah. I've learned so much yeah. during that time. And I guess there are some people will be like, well, that's not relaxing. Like, you know, I would rather listen to music or something like that. But yeah. for me to be able to multitask that way, like run and learn about affiliate marketing. I'm like, oh, this is the best.
1: (laughs) That's exactly how I feel. They are the best. Yeah. I love it. Sometimes it's better than television because I I've always been a reader. So I love kind of just imagining, you know, what is being read to me or talked about to me. So it's, it's a good way to kind of escape too, in a moment. Yes,
0: it is good. And I'm not, a natural athlete, I would say at all. And so I, um, it helps me to just sort of continue to run, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, oh, there's a new episode of long form. I just, I'll just run and listen to that. It goes by
1: so fast. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it
0: helps me um, look forward to running when, which is crazy, but I do look forward to it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. You have one more recommendation. I'm sure people ask you all the time about, oh, what brushes should I get? And what watercolors should I get? And that kind of thing. And I I think to a certain degree, there's like a mistake there in thinking like, if I only had the right materials, I would actually make art, (laughs) which, uh I've done, I've gone down that path and it's not necessarily true. It's <laughs> not true. Yeah. Um but you wanted to recommend your secure, I don't know how you say that Sakura Koi watercolor okay. sketch box yeah. set. So
1: I get asked probably that question more than anything and a lot of times I use Crayola watercolors like kids stuff but my favorite watercolors that I take everywhere are the the Sakura Koi sketch box and it's just a really good all-purpose high-quality set of watercolors that I think could be good for beginners as well as advanced people who are working with watercolors. So I take it, I literally use it every day I use it all the time. Uh Uh-huh, and when when they get worn out, which I'm sure they probably do, you just get another box. Yep, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do,
0: yeah. I think that's a great recommendation and and could also make a really nice gift along with one of your online classes, you know?
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Get a class and the watercolors and give it to someone you love. I think that's super. So, well, Alyssa, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshing Ups podcast. Yeah, it was great talking to you.
1: It was good talking to you too.
0: Um, And where should people go if they want to find you online, maybe um, catch up with what you're working on and sort of see what's new?
1: Um, they can head over – my blog is kind of the landing point for everything that I share. So it's AlyssaBurke.com, and I've got stuff five days a week, that type of thing. Um, and from there, I mean, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, all that, under Alyssa Burke. It's just my name for everything.
0: <laughs> Super. So you've been listening to the While she Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing – blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Today's episode with Alyssa was sponsored by Spoonflower. Spoonflower is a world leader in digital on-demand fabric printing. Start with the design you create or just upload an image. Apply your design to fabric, wallpaper, or gift wrap, and Spoonflower will print it to order. Digital printing involves very little waste, and Spoonflower uses eco-friendly inks. Not sure you want to design it yourself? Shop from their marketplace created by people all over the world. Indie artists earn a commission on every sale. Visit try.spoonflower.com and use the code ABBY15 to get 15% off your first order. Thanks, Spoonflower. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.